0: Hello, and welcome to Commercial Real Estate Views with NAOP Pittsburgh Developing Leaders with your podcast host, Clayton Morris, NAOP Pittsburgh Podcast Committee Lead and Vice President of Development and Leasing at Sampson Morris Group. This year's podcast series is sponsored by the law firm of Bernstein Berkeley, serving the Pittsburgh business community for more than 50 years. Remember to subscribe to Commercial Real Estate Views with NAOP Pittsburgh on your favorite podcast platform. And now, your host, Clayton Morris.
1: Hello, listeners. It's Clayton. I'm here with Mikhail Tashome, the uh, vice president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. Uh, do you want to do a quick introduction of yourself and, and, and what you do and give us more details on
2: what I just provided? All right. Well, good, good to be with you, Clayton. Uh, I'm Mikhail Toshoma. I'm the Senior Regional Officer and Vice President of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland uh, of the Pittsburgh branch. And in my role, I oversee the, the branch and uh, that involves monitoring the region's economy. I look a lot at uh, Western Pennsylvania and, um, and other parts of the Fourth District as well, but mostly Western Pennsylvania and uh, I communicate my analyses and what I'm hearing from stakeholders in the community up to our uh, bank president and senior uh, senior leaders at the Cleveland Fed. And I also communicate the other way around and go out and give presentations and do outreach to to our stakeholders and our communities.
1: Great. So, what is the Federal Reserve Bank? Do In in layman's terms, I mean, we have a very complicated financial market and financial (laughs) (laughs) industry in the United States and public policy. So so what do you do?
2: That's that's a good point. So the Federal Reserve is the nation's central bank. Um, It was created uh, in 1913 in response to uh, a number of financial crises that the U.S. uh, used to face. And uh, over the years, its role has evolved a little bit, but the Fed's primary goal as a central bank, uh, it's the the banker's bank. It's the lender of last resort. Uh, We have a mandate from Congress. Um, One part of the mandate is to promote price stability. So that's the inflation part of the mandate. And then the other part of the mandate is to um, promote maximum employment. And then there's another part of our mandate that it is uh, to promote financial stability. So as a nation's central bank, we're we're tasked with achieving those goals that Congress uh, gives us. And uh, where where most people would see the Fed acting and operating is with interest rates. And that's one of the primary tools we have to achieving our goals. Uh, You may read in the news, the Federal Reserve a couple of weeks ago raised the Fed funds rate, that's the policy rate, and that interest rate um influences other variables like employment and inflation uh, so that's that's in a nutshell what the federal reserve does Um, uh, we're the central bank of the united states and uh something else that most people don't realize is that in that capacity as a central bank we really have a um uh both a centralized and a decentralized component so there's uh, what you call, uh, there's the Board of Governors in D.C. You, you'll hear about the Federal Open Market Committee. That's the policy-setting body that people are familiar with. Um, but the decentralized part of the Federal Reserve are the 12 reserve banks that uh, are spread across the country. Here in Pittsburgh, we're part of the fourth district. That's the Cleveland Fed. We've got 12, 11 other banks, and we're all working as part of this organization.
1: Great. so so uh, you mentioned inflation. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but but you, you said one of your major tools is uh, interest rates. Yes. Uh, and 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 everyone in real estate's talking about interest rates. It affects mortgages and and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, how what what's the it, what kind of indications do you look for uh, to change an interest rate? And how can interest rate changes then trickle down and affect the economy? Provide pricing stability?
2: Mm, That's a great question. So uh, let's go back to the early days of the pandemic and uh, kind of talk through what we went through early in those days and then where we are now. And um, going back to March 2020, uh, before the pandemic really started to to kick in, the US economy was doing okay. Overall, economic growth was fine. The unemployment rate was low. Inflation was low. Um, but once we got into the pandemic, everything was shut down. It looked, the at the time, with very limited information, the economic outlook looked very um, dire. And so the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates at that point as a way to stimulate uh, activity and support growth. And so when the Fed lowers interest rates, it uh, makes it cheaper for businesses and households to borrow uh, it. Uh, and that, that helps support um, economic activity. Now, where we are now, uh, we've you know, two years on, uh, in terms of activity and GDP growth, the economy is doing fine. We've more than recovered there. The labor market is, is continuing to recover. But the unemployment rate is fairly low. It's close to its pre-pandemic lows. Uh, Job market is tight. But we see inflation spiking up. And so um, consumer price inflation now is at 20-year highs. Part of that is driven by supply chain challenges that drive up costs for businesses. Part of it um, is related to labor scarcity, which is driving up wages. Um, And so in that environment, The Federal Reserve wants to raise interest rates uh, to tamp down inflation. And when interest rates rise, it takes a little bit of steam out of activity because it costs more to borrow. And then that would slow down overall activity. Now, the way it transmits, the rate changes transmit through the economy, um, a a good example of that would be mortgages uh, or um, auto loans. When the When the Fed starts raising interest rates, other interest rates start to rise. It's going to cost you more to borrow uh, to buy a car, to buy a house. So that slows things down. Um, and it would be a similar story with uh, businesses. On the other direction, if uh, the economic outlook is is um, not so good, and the economy needs more support to keep activity going, the Fed will lower interest rates and that makes it cheaper to borrow. And hopefully you're more likely to go out and buy a car and buy uh, other items. And so that's, that's how interest rates work and that's how the Fed uses the Fed funds rate, which is its policy uh, interest rate to influence the bigger variables such as labor and employment and inflation.
1: So, so so, the gas pedal in the economy is, is the interest rate. As you press it down, we go faster. And as you pull off on it, we slow down and and, uh, and we can wrangle things back in. Exactly.
2: And the other um, part, um, and then we, there, so that we call monetary policy. And that's where the mm-hmm. Fed comes in. The other side is fiscal policy, which is for the federal government to do. And the federal government can increase its spending, stimulus checks, things like that, or decrease spending to slow things down. Uh, We operate separately. We we keep to our lane and we focus on monetary policy. But for the for the listeners, that's a good way to view it is monetary policy and fiscal policy. Um, And as you said, accelerating or hitting on the brakes
1: as needed. Great. So so monetary policy is very complicated and and we kind of jumped ahead here. Uh, But you're in a in a fascinating role at the Fed. uh, And why don't you tell us how, how you got to your position? What's your education? Is this what you wanted to do when you grow up? And, and did you target this or did you get into this role through your experience?
2: That's a great question. It, it is a very interesting job. I'd love to talk more about the day-to-day and and what all I do there. Um, I think there's a lot, um, a lot of interesting things there. How I got here, I uh, would have never imagined it, actually. I had no idea. Um, it's one of those things where, I I didn't start out thinking I want to be an economist and I want to be an economist at the Fed. But uh, the way it started for me, I uh, when I went to college, I I changed my major a lot of times, and I, I think I want to say four times, maybe three or four times. Oh wow! But <laughs> um, but this, towards the end, I, I realized I was really interested in political science and international studies. Mm-hmm. So I graduated with an undergraduate with a bachelor's degree in that. And uh what sparked my interest in economics is my uh senior year, I had an economic development course. And um, and the professor just is, it really was engaging. And um I I, I realized that economics asks a lot of interesting questions about, at least with economic development, why are some countries rich, some countries poor? Um, just how do you raise living standards, how do people behave, uh, those types of big questions. So I ended up pursuing a master's degree in economics, and uh, my inclination tends to be to, to think about the two, political science, international relations and on one side and economics on the other. So so now that's how my education started. As far as where I wanted to go um, after I graduated, I, I didn't really know at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I started out in the private sector at uh, Moody's Analytics, which is a uh, you know an uh, economic research and forecasting uh, shop. And uh, in fact, um, Gus Fouche, um, yeah uh, he's, he's a, a recurring uh, speaker at your conference every year. I worked with him uh, back at Moody's. And there it was, um, I, got a re- I got a taste of a variety of different types of different areas of economics, international, regional, uh, industry analysis. And uh, from there, I moved and that was outside of Philadelphia in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And then I moved to Pittsburgh um, to work for PNC Bank. And I started getting into regional economics. Mm-hmm. Um, now at the time, uh, the Fed wasn't really on my radar at all. Uh, but an opportunity came up with this position I'm in now, and uh, it seemed really interesting. Um, part of it is you're in a uh, you're in a, an uh, an institution where there's a lot of really smart people around who can challenge you, and uh, you can learn from. Uh, There's also uh, the ability to think deeply about economic issues um, and communicate that to policymakers. But then there's also a lot of interaction with uh, the community. Um, Something that most people aren't aware of is there's a community development group at at the Cleveland Fed and and other feds, too. Um, And so we're also out in the community uh, looking at hearing uh, from stakeholders about how uh, their deal how their econ- how the economy is treating them. so you know the job was I, I honestly had no idea I'd be here and it kind of I stumbled into it, but i I really liked it because of that mix of you know research and thinking, but and then also engaging um, real people, businesses, community members outside and and communicating our our assessments to them and hearing from them and passing that up to policymakers.
1: So, so you're really bridging the, the gap between the private sector and the public sector and policymakers. Yeah, that's, that's a
2: really good way to, uh, to put it. That's exactly right. We are bridging that, uh, that gap. And as public servants, uh, it's cool because we have a mission to, uh, to our mandate that Congress gave us. Uh, and so we can be neutral players in in the public discussion and help
1: enhance it. So, uh, so, so you mentioned earlier, and we just segued into this uh, that you you work with the private sector and the public sector. What do you look for? Like, do you go and we'll go to a, like a NAOP like conference and say, "Hey, how's real estate going?" And everyone says it's all great, <laughs> and then you communicate that up, or or what? What is the process to transfer this information? <laughs> oh,
2: that, that's an excellent question. So we have a variety of ways we collect the information and synthesize it and pass it along. So one of the ways that I would encourage everyone to, to do is um, on our website, um, clevelandfed.org, we have a publication called The Beige Book. And The Beige Book is a summary of um qualitative information, anecdotal information that we've collected uh, that summarizes economic conditions. Um, So that's a major output that's open to the public. You can read it. You can hear what businesses are saying about economic conditions in our region. Um, And the process for collecting that information, we do it through surveys. Um, So I would go to say NAOP, um, meet people, uh, if there's someone that seems interested in this and has some good insights, I might invite them to be a part uh, participate in the survey. And they would regularly fill out that survey with questions about demand, um, costs, prices, uh, various economic variables like that. And regular and that goes out eight times a year. So through these surveys, we're co- systematically collecting information on an ongoing basis. Um, And then we put out the beige book and that forms, you know, part of our understanding of how uh, our regional economy is faring. The, um, the other way we do it is kind of to what you said, uh, we do have one-on-one calls where we'll reach out to a business person um, or a community leader and schedule 30 minutes. And we'll send them some questions in advance to have a free flowing conversation about, um, it could be something like what what are you seeing with costs? Is it easier to hire workers? What are you seeing there? Uh, has the war in Ukraine had any impact on your business or your outlook? How are your supply chains doing? And so we're having these conversations throughout the week, all the time, taking notes and kind of s- synthesizing that. Um, and And based on that, we you know we get a narrative. From what we're hearing from people, um, we also look at typical data that economists would look, look at, and we and we integrate the two, and that's how we come to the conclusions we have about how our region's economy is doing. So, <laughs> I gave you a long answer, but yeah. uh, the short version is yes, we do. We talk to a lot of people to hear them out and incorporate their insights
1: as the intermediary between public and private. Uh, you're having all these conversations with with the private sector talking talking to me right now i can give you some opinions if you need it um, <laughs> but you but you hear oh it's i can't hire wages are going up uh, and supply chains difficult and um, you must be hearing that now i bet and uh, definitely how do you take it to the next level how do you how do you take that information and and say, okay, let's make interest rates go up by X percent. Let's turn up the dial or hit the gas pedal, as we said earlier.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the process that we have, and different reserve banks might do it differently, uh, we prepare our bank president, uh, President Loretta Mester, uh, in advance of the Federal Open Market Committee uh, meetings. There's eight meetings a year. This is where you hear in the news, the Fed is the Fed raised interest rates. This is monetary policy, and so our bank president, um, President Mester, is a voting member of the uh, Federal Open Market Committee (FOMC) <clears throat> this year. Um, and before she goes, we our team prepares her by briefing her on economic conditions. Um, there's there's a group that might do macroeconomic conditions, a group that will you know talk exclusively about the forecast. Uh, The group I'm in, we talk exclusively about the regional economy. And she's really interested in hearing that because it helps give her color and and understand um, how to view the macroeconomic picture. So in that process of getting ready to brief her, uh, we'll take all of this information we collected from surveys, uh, information we collected from our conversations, and we will, Prepare a, you know a report for her, and I will give her a presentation, and my colleagues too. We will present to her uh, before the FOMC meetings. Here's the story that we're hearing. There's you know a written part to it that she'll read, and then there's the you know presentation that I'll give, and that that helps her understand what what's going on on the ground from uh, we'll say real people <laughs> from you and from others. Um, so there's, a, there's an aspect of, you know, judgment on my part and my colleagues' part as to, you know, filtering out what, what is the actual signal that we're getting? How does it relate to the policy questions that have come out of these FOMC meetings? And we try to give her as much useful information that can help her make a decision. Um, here's where I think we need to, to, uh, to go with interest rates. I'm not. I'm not part of that group that uh, tells her exactly what to do with it. But the narrative will speak and inform her decision on that. So that's another really cool part of this job is that I I do get to you know pass that information from you and others to her, uh, to the actual policymakers and and let them know here's here's what people are saying. Um, but that's that's the process that we follow. There's you know writing component to it. Um, and I should also add, actually, we have these one-on-one conversations. We also have advisory councils. Um, and I should have added that earlier. These are advisory councils are like a roundtable that we'll hold. We have them in different cities throughout our district. And that'll be an open dialogue for those leaders, community leaders and business leaders, to discuss the issues that are most pressing for them. And we'll synthesize that as well. So we've got these multiple channels that we kind of pull together uh, eight times a year, and you know, synthesize it into a, a narrative backed by data, and
1: and then that that gets sent to the policymakers. Okay, and, and you represent the region, which is what, like uh, southwestern Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, parts of West Virginia. Exactly, exactly. So it's uh, the 4th
2: District, Cleveland feds, it's all of Ohio, western Pennsylvania, eastern Kentucky, and a little bit of um, the panhandle of West Virginia.
1: And, so, so those uh, have,
2: looked,
1: yeah. So those have relatively consistent needs, I'd matter, uh, imagine kind of rust Belty cities, uh, a lot in yeah. common. But what if Cleveland was booming, or let's say, what if Pittsburgh was booming, and, <laughs> and, and, and Cleveland wasn't doing so well? Uh, you can't. Can you make a policy? I mean, your policy is federal, but right. I, would you, how would you describe that? Would you like weight average? Do a weighted average in your description? Like the region as a case, doing as a whole is doing okay, or can you go down to a, a city by city level in these conversations and make decisions that affect a city individually or region? Yeah, or that's a, a subregion. That's a
2: great observation. So unfortunately, with monetary policy, you can't really get granular. You can't get surgical Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: provide policy that's going to boost one part of the the country and maybe slow things down in the other part of the country. So that is a drawback to it. Um, But where it becomes important is when uh, we make sure that the perspectives of these areas are passed up. And so during these FOMC meetings, when President Mester's going there, she's sharing what's going on in our district and others are sharing what's going on in their districts as well. Um, and that helps, uh, and that helps uh, inform policymakers understanding that, OK, maybe there is a lot of variation going on within the country. And, um, and so that might help them calibrate things. But unfortunately, it is a, a blunt instrument, so to speak, one monetary policy for the whole country
0: time for a sponsor break the Naop pittsburgh developing leaders podcast is sponsored by bernstein berkeley attorneys at law a business approach to legal service for more than 50 years whether it's bankruptcy and restructuring commercial real estate, or property tax assessments, Bernstein-Berkeley creates partnerships that provide clients with peace of mind through expert service and zealous representation with offices in Pittsburgh, Wheeling, and Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Visit Bernstein-Berkeley at BernsteinLaw.com or call 412-456-8100 for more information.
1: So, you mentioned forecasting earlier, and I think it's a very standard question when you walk into a NAOF event. Is, Are you busy? And everyone's like, yeah, we're busy. Everyone's always busy. And then it goes, what's happening with interest rates? So that's like the, the standard first two questions you ask. So yeah. I'm sure there's rules on what you can say, but interest rates just went up. Where do you see that happening? Or what can you say? And and what's your general outlook on the economy? We've got a war in Europe. We have a pandemic yeah. Doing its thing.
2: Yeah. No. Great question. So, the um, the outlook for demand is is actually quite good. Um, the consensus among professional forecasters is that the U.S. economy, uh, as measured by GDP, could grow around three uh, percent this year, and um, you know that would be a slower growth rate than what we had last year, but three percent is still solid. The, the long run trend growth rate for the US is about 2%. Um, so 3% growth is is looking pretty good. Um, and that's enough to keep employment growing at a healthy pace and keep the unemployment rate low for this year. Um, on inflation, economists are expecting inflation readings to moderate uh, over the course of the year. And that's as the Fed raises interest rates there's several more rate hikes that are expected for the year, uh, and that'll help bring inflation down. But uh, it's going to take time to bring uh, inflation down, and so uh, the expectation is that inflation could be above the Fed's two percent goal by the end of this year and uh, going into next year. So on the inflation front, slower inflation, but it's going to be uh, it's going to take time. Now the big risk in all of that is uh, you know, how long supply chain challenges persist. Um, those supply challenges not only make it harder for businesses to meet demand, but they also drive up costs, which could push inflation up. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of risks there. And as you mentioned, the war in Ukraine uh, is, is a, big, a big risk to that. And there are a lot of key materials that come out of the region. And the longer the war goes, the the more those supply chains could be disrupted. And yeah. And so that's a big concern. But on the whole, it's there, there are a lot of positives for the US, uh, but but a lot of uncertainties around it too.
1: Yeah, and and I didn't even mention inflation and and, and as we discussed, that's Part of what you can affect with interest rates. So, so the goal of raising interest rates is to reduce inflation. Correct?
2: Yeah, that's a big part of it. That's exactly right. And uh, you know, we have a du- we have a dual mandate. We want to promote maximum employment and stable prices. We have a two percent inflation goal. On the employment side, things look great uh, right now. They look good. Uh, so it's the inflation side that the the Fed is focused on.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for uh, for forecasting and spending the time with uh with me and Naop today. Uh, I always like to ask our guests: Is there anything you would advise uh, your younger self? You're in a really cool position now, but uh, as you told your story earlier, this wasn't what you thought you'd be doing, and you took advantage of some things to get to where you are. Uh, what 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 would you tell your younger self?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah. There there are a lot of things that you learn over time. And um, you know a few things that I've learned that I would tell my younger self. Uh, one one thing is, don't be afraid to try new things and get out of your comfort zone. Uh, and when you do that, you gain experiences which will then give you uh, you know knowledge and skills that you can use in other areas. Uh, it just yeah, it helps you grow as a professional when you try new things and, and push your your comfort zone, uh, push out of your comfort zone, and then the other thing that I would uh, add related to that is always be looking for ways you can add value in uh, whatever role you're in. Um, it's it's nice to um, it, you know it's easier to just get stuck doing you know the same same thing and doing you know fulfilling your tasks, but when you start thinking in terms of okay, how can I add value? You start to think creatively, and um, it helps you push your boundaries even further that way, and it'll help you grow as a professional. So, I, um, for my younger self, I would definitely uh, give those two pieces of advice.
1: So, so, so the takeaway here is uh, is take advantage of opportunities. I believe uh, yeah. uh, see where you can add value, and interest rates are going up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all of those are all of those are accurate. Good, good, good. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, your wisdom and, and uh, all the information you shared with us. Uh, well, thanks for
2: having me, uh, Clayton. I appreciate it. I always enjoy uh, talking to NAOP members. Uh, it's a good group, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Commercial Real Estate Views with NAOP Pittsburgh Developing Leaders podcast is brought to you by Bernstein-Berkeley Attorneys at Law. This episode and all episodes are available on all major podcasting services. Please subscribe to be alerted when new episodes drop.